Diet culture is really American culture. It's not just about weight loss. It's about this social status and hierarchy that comes from thinness, the pursuit of thinness and equating that to health. It is rooted in racism. And so we've been essentially given this framework by which to view ourselves and others. This thinness equals goodness and thinness equaling morality and that we think that we can look at someone and assume something about their habits based on the way that they look in the body that they're in. So it's rooted in anti-fatness. It's rooted in anti-blackness, which is another reason why I kind of dovetailed into this even just like, why well, should they like slammed into it even harder? <laughs> because this was really bubbling up in me as a personal journey, but also as wanting to be more of an ally to the black community. And yeah, just recognizing where all of these things melt together. I'm Holly Whitaker. And I'm Emily McDowell. And this is Quitted, a podcast about quitting. Hey, Good morning. <laughs> Holly just observed that I'm wearing the same shirt oh. that I was wearing yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like to state for the record that I'm also wearing the same pants. Um, and what about the same underwear? Probably. Nope. Yeah. Changed that. I did oh, change that. I did. Yeah. See? see? Okay. That's the effort. It's not just effort, it's impressive. So good. Yeah, the bar is Yay low. You. I mean, I changed my underwear. The bar is low. <laughs> Look, I don't. So I don't even wear underwear most of the time. So I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but for some reason, my parents are both appalled by this fact. But my sister and I don't like underwear. And wait, you and your sister? Both of us. And we never colluded on it. It was never a discussion that we had. We both just like will raw dog it or whatever the fuck it is <gasps> called. Free ball it? Raw dog it? Free no, ball I, I don't think it's raw dogging. I think that's I don't different. think so either. I think that's something else. <laughs> <laughs> free ball. Commando. It, yeah, yeah, free balling, commando. I wrote a piece about this that I never published. Um, and then about how I like was never wearing I did I only had like Everlane underwear with holes in it and then how I wasn't like I hadn't had sex in forever and that and like I finally went online and I bought all of this underwear from Nordstrom and then I had sex um so it like I don't know I was just like was it because anyway. of the underwear do you think it was because well, of the I was underwear? in the middle of having sex with this guy that was a random guy um in Oton, San Francisco and in the middle of it I said oh my god and he was like what and I was like oh I was like, it, I wasn't getting laid for a really long time and I bought all this underwear and I like ordered to manifest it <laughs> and I just realized that it's happening. Um, so you're like, the underwear worked. And he's like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was funny. So we laughed. So how do we get here? Okay. You change your underwear and I don't wear it. So um, yeah. Welcome right. to our show. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, so this show today, we have Diane Sanfilippo, who is a pretty well-known author of paleo and keto books, um, and who is the founder of a company called Balanced Bites that makes meals and spices. And she is going to talk about this shift that she has 
been undergoing in her life, personal life, and then also professional life in the last year and a half where she has renounced diet culture and therefore the work that she has, you know, this decade of work that she has done. And I really appreciate this conversation and all of the places that it went to. Mm. We're going to hear her story and also just talking about diet culture in general and just talking about, and then also talking about all kinds of things that I didn't anticipate we were going to talk about. Like what? (laughs) (laughs) Talking about, well, productivity. I mean, just like, you know, just the, the, uh, personal brand, um, about habits and how different people are wired and discipline our different experiences with sort of our own, um, in our own bodies and our own, and, and the perspective that you brought about using food to heal from eating disorders and from sort of abusing your body. And, you know, my perspective of having been in a body that is bigger than is socially ideal or acceptable for basically my whole life. And so feeling, you know, feeling like I, and I didn't really talk about this in the episode, but you know, it's, I've been in this, I've dieted on and off a lot in my life. And what's been every time what's happened is the, I remember the first time I really decided to go on a diet was when I was in high school and I did this crazy thing and I restricted all kinds of stuff and I lost a bunch of weight and um, immediately boys started paying attention to me in a different way. Mm-hmm. And my response was not like, oh my God, yay, like this is everything I ever wanted. I got really angry because I was like, wait a minute, I'm the same person I was like two months ago. And like, I just lost like 20 pounds or whatever. And now all of a sudden, like, I'm, I'm like viable for you in a way that I wasn't before just because of this Hmm. and like gross. Like I got really, really angry about it. Yeah. And did that change for you, like your relationship to dieting and food? Yes and no. I ultimately just felt like, you know, the thing that I was doing at the time just wasn't sustainable. Like I was starving all the time and it didn't, it just was like, I can't, I was like, I can't live like this. And so I went to college and I like didn't diet and gained a bunch of weight and, you know, also didn't date a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. I had a lot of male friends and I had, I had several people tell me that if I lost weight, dudes would be more into me. Yeah. And, you know, experienced all kinds of sort of guys wanting to have sex with me, but then not wanting to people to know about it and, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing, which could have been due to many different factors. But I ultimately, what was interesting was that I didn't diet. Like, I just was more like, ugh, like, fuck you guys. Like, fuck you. Like, I, instead of dieting, what I did was I, I had a core belief that I needed to overcompensate for my appearance by being other things, like by being an extra funny or extra smart or an extra good friend or all of those things at once, you know, that like I had this core flaw that required me to overcompensate in other ways in order to be loved. Mm. 
as you're saying it, I'm just thinking about what's so funny is I'm like, oh, I wish I had said like even tied into the fuck you part of it. I wish that that had been my reaction, you know, to, you know, rejection of my body when I gained weight, acceptance when I lost a lot of it. But I just went the opposite way, you know. And yeah. We have very different bodies, you know. And I think like for me, I went through puberty, I gained a, a lot of weight. Like I weigh the same um now as I did when I was in the sixth grade and it was just, you know, and I, you know, my, my sister, you know, called me cottage cheese stomach and like whatever, you know, like shit that people say to you about your body and when it doesn't look the way that it's, you know, like supposed to by society standards. And then, you know, that attention of like, like being anorexic was like the best attention I felt I ever got. You know, it was just like, you're worried about me. Mm. Like I'm disappearing. I, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm a little girl, you know, like, Whatever. I'm not like, but I think it's, it's interesting that like, I never was mad about that being valuable to other people. I just tried harder Mm -hmm. at it and felt like Mm -hmm. I could like that. I was never allowed to, to gain weight because if I did, then I'd broken the pact. So it's, it's so fucked up. All of it's so fucked up. So fucked up. It's, it's all so fucked up. You know, it's all so fucked up. And I think, you know, I think too, for me, part of it was, it was the fuck you, but that it was also just, I think it was also that I, I knew that no matter what I did, I would never look like people in magazines. Like what I now see as like, you know, I am, I look at people on TV. I look at models. I look at, you know, people who are thin, who are naturally thin and whose bodies are smaller. And I think like, you know, you're a golden retriever and I'm a poodle. Like, we are built so differently. Like, I can't be, I can't, if I'm a poodle, I can't be a golden retriever. Like, no matter how hard I try, like, I am, I am a person who's large, you know, I am tall and I am big and I have big boobs and I'm just like a, a large person. And when I was younger, I, you know, yes, I lost weight and got thinner, but I also, it was this feeling of futility. Like I actually just don't think I can, like, I don't think I, I think no matter, no matter what I do, it's never going to be enough. And I'll never look like everyone says I'm supposed to. And so I guess just fuck Mm -hmm. it from that point of view too. You know, it was just a resentment of like the body that I was born into and like, okay, well, you know, um, I guess just, I hate, I guess I, I, you know, (laughs) Like, I guess this is what it is. And so, you know, it's been a long untangling of that. Mm. And I appreciate this conversation that we had. I have learned a lot from Diane about diet culture, from following her on Instagram and learning about, you know, the racist origins of diet culture, like learning about sort of the context of how we got here and not just about thinness, but about health and, you know, all of the different facets and nuance and and how it is sort of the air we breathe in America is infused, you know, just like white supremacy, it's infused with this, with diet culture. Um, and yeah, I, I, I really appreciated her coming on and sharing about that and then also, and sharing her personal story. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, we're all fucking affected by it, you know, especially women. And I think it's like, Mm -hmm. it's refreshing. I, I've made a post last week about Botox. I talk about it really, really loosely about med spa and all the things I do to my face. And then there was this really incredible conversation between Virginia Soul Smith, who's also like a diet culture critic and Jessica Dafina, who does uh, beauty culture criticism. And it was so fascinating to talk about these tie-ins of like how loose we are talking about, you know, shoving shit in our face, which is still body hatred, which is still trying to live up to like some, you know, European like beauty ideal and like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like thin privilege and, and youth, like, like youth privilege. Yep, yep, <laughs> like, yep. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's so, I mean, it's all the same water, you know, it's all the same water. And I think this was a conversation where we really meant to ask somebody about how they changed, how they quit something that was their identity, their job. But also I think it just opened up this really like interesting conversation about something that all of us are deeply affected by that I don't think we talk about enough. Yeah. Before we do that, this is the weekly reminder that we are a self-funded podcast, um, that we make this podcast uh, with just our own selves and generous financial support of our patrons. And if you are a fan of this podcast and you want to support us, um, you can do that in a bunch of different ways. You can leave a review, you can rate us, you can subscribe to the podcast. All of that really helps get it out there. You can share it on social media. And if you would like to financially support us, that is something that is deeply appreciated. And you can do that by joining our patron community by going to patreon.com forward slash quitted. Very well done. (laughs) (laughs) With that, here's Diane. Diane Sanfilippo, welcome to Quitted. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to do this. Yeah, we're stoked. I started following you on Instagram years ago. We became friends on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I think it was actually because, <laughs> because I bought Practical Paleo. And then I started following you. And then I really enjoyed what you had to say. I really appreciate your perspective. You are so smart and you're so sharp and you're so unapologetic and you really talk about all kinds of different things. And that was, you know, why I kept following you and I just liked you. And so then we ultimately sort of became Instagram pals. I think that's funny that it's you think it's because you followed me because I think it's because I followed you. So I don't know because I oh, feel really? the same way about you. Yeah, I could have oh. listed off all of that and also wildly creative and yeah, just inspirational to me. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Um, why did you start following me? Do you know? I mean, it probably started from your business and, you know, I loved that. But I, as a fellow entrepreneur and, you know, woman business owner, Um, I think I just saw something in you that seemed, I don't know, inspirational, but not in a, not in this aspirational life. Like, oh, I want to be that person, you know, not in a weird way, just in a very real way. Like I just thought that you were the same, just very real. I liked what you talked about. I think at the time you may have just (laughs) gone off to Bali. 
Were you in Bali? I was in Bali. I was in Bali. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you've been in a lot of places, but I was like, this is really interesting. I wonder what she's up to. Yeah. Is she okay? Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think I, I definitely didn't have that curiosity. Um, but yeah, and then we met, you came to one of my book signings yeah. and that was really fun. I love when I get to meet people in real life and yeah, so totally mutual, mutual feeling. Oh, well, thank you. So I have been wanting to have you on this podcast really since its inception because you have been in the process of doing something, of, of quitting something that is incredibly difficult from the outside, which mm-hmm. is that you have had this long career as a diet book, cookbook author um, in the paleo and keto space. You wrote two New York Times bestsellers, Practical Paleo and Keto Quick Start. And, you know, you really had established yourself as an authority in that space. And then over the last year and a half or so, you have rejected diet culture. and Burning it all down. (laughs) Burning it all down and effectively renouncing this work that you have spent so many years doing and the career that you spent so many years building. And I know just from the little bit that you've shared about this, that it's been painful. And you also, you know, you have a a podcast, a great podcast called Full Plate, where you talk about this and you talk about diet culture and you talk about all this stuff. But Holly and I have been so curious about just what this experience has been like for you, this process. And so I think let's start with, can we talk about diet culture? Can we talk about what it is? Yeah, absolutely. And just to give a little more context to the listeners, I've actually written like six different diet books. Three of them are a sugar detox program. And one of those is actually a bestseller like back in 2013. But Keto Quick Start is the newest one. So as recently as 2019, you know, a year before the pandemic kind of started, that was how recently I released my last book in the diet space. So it's a complete identity undoing. It's really very interesting and difficult. But as far as like, what is diet culture? So I I just want to blanket this by saying I'm certainly not the authority on, you know, defining this, but I'm just going to let folks know from my perspective what I've learned. Um, I'm essentially just a person going through it. I'm really not you know, an expert on this. And I don't teach this to other people. You know, my co-host on Full Plate, she really is more of an expert in terms of, she, you know, she coaches people one-on-one and in groups and all of that. I'm just kind of like, here's my journey. I'm doing it. And from a perspective of, like you said, someone who has been an authority in the space to the contrary. So diet culture is really American culture. It's not what people often assume, which is just being this vibe of everyone wanting to lose weight. It's not just about weight loss. It's about this social status and hierarchy that comes from thinness, the pursuit of thinness and equating that to health. It is rooted in racism. Uh, Sabrina Strings is a great reference on that. Fearing the Black Body is her book, but talking about how the way that we perceive bodies is just very, very narrow and Eurocentric. And so we've been essentially given this framework by which to view ourselves and others. Uh, Sonia Renee Taylor is another great person to uh, look into 
to her work on this, but she talks about that bodily hierarchy, like where do we fit into this hierarchy and this thinness equals goodness and thinness equaling morality and that we think that we can look at someone and assume something about their habits based on the way that they look in the body that they're in. Uh, it's also this combination of social, socioeconomic, just sort of a framework by which we can access or not access what is perceived as quote unquote healthy. Um, wellness culture kind of links into it in that way, right? We look at, you know, a kale smoothie or whatever BS thing is kind of out there on the internet as the next wave. And who is that accessible to? And then what does that mean for who is perceived as healthy versus not? So it's rooted in anti-fatness. It's rooted in anti-blackness, which is another reason why I kind of dovetailed into this even just like, well, I should say like slammed into it even harder because this was really bubbling up in me as a personal journey, but also as wanting to be more of an ally uh, to the black community and yeah, just recognizing where all of these things melt together. So I don't know if that's a, a helpful framework, but I do want to also note that when we talk about what is diet culture, we have to understand that it is inherently fat phobic. And when we walk around the world as people who have thin privilege, so all of us sitting here on this podcast, we all have thin privilege. And I think what we often assume is that that means we are in an quote unquote ideally thin body according to American culture. And that's not what it means. It means that we can walk into spaces and know that we will fit there physically. We will fit into an airplane seat. We will fit into a chair at a restaurant. We will fit into clothing in, you know, at least 99% of stores, maybe not the ones made for teeny boppers as we are women who are not in our teens, but you know, (laughs) that kind of thing that we can (laughs) walk into spaces and physically fit there. And we don't even think about that. We don't even give it a second thought. We just, we know that we're going to walk in and and fit, literally fit. Um, But there are a large number of people who do not have that experience. And so it's also steeped in the privilege that we have uh, just moving through the world in these bodies. Yeah, I, I also, I don't really know that much about diet culture, but it also has me thinking of like what's happening right now with reproductive rights and the policing of bodies. Like it all ties in, as you're saying this, mm-hmm. to all of the things. Yes. And including- Extremely patriarchal, yeah. misogynistic. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And control, right? Like it's also, mm-hmm. I think about how it's also about about control and controlling women. Yes. Keeping us we, busy with keeping this Keeping us work busy when we are thinking shrinking. about- Right, exactly. When we're so busy thinking about dieting and shrinking and being smaller, we're not like thinking about how to burn it all down, right? Like we're preoccupied with right. this, looking with good. Um, yeah. looking good with this stuff. And it also keeps us literally hungry. Literally. I mean, I look back and realize that I was hungry for the last 20 years. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because that's how long I've been essentially dieting for the last 20 years. And it was all really kicked off by a doctor's appointment. I went to a gynecologist appointment, you know, back when I was really probably 24, 23, something like that. So I'm 44 now. And 
at the time, it's so warped. But at the time, I thought this person had done me a favor. And in hindsight, it was no, it was no favor. But this nurse, uh, you know, weighed me and then asked me if I knew about portion control. And literally that one doctor's appointment kicked off my dieting for 20 years. Mm. And I'm essentially back in the body that I was in then. Mm-hmm. possibly a little bit larger because that's what dieting does to us. Every time we diet, we lose weight, we tend to gain it back and then a little more because our body does have this set point that it wants to be at. We are not all designed to be in the same size and shape body, the same level of leanness as the person next to us or fatness. Like We are designed differently. We have different genes. We have different trauma in our genes. We have different you know protections that our body is setting up and Yeah. So that kicked it off for me 20 years ago. And it's wild to think about unraveling that all this time later. Yeah. Can I ask real quick why you said the, like, you don't define that as an eating disorder? Like the, it's, you said dieting as opposed to eating disorder. And I'm wondering if you can draw the distinction for yourself. Actually, now that I know about orthorexia and that obsession with healthy eating, the way that my patterns were, they wouldn't necessarily have been diagnosable in terms that exist today. Like it wouldn't have been anorexia or bulimia. It wouldn't have been those types of diagnoses, um, perhaps orthorexia, but I don't know that there is a, a diagnostic, you know, criteria for specifically just chronic dieting. But that's really the place where I was, where it was, I was either dieting or not dieting for a period of time and, you know, literally on and off for 20 years. So yeah, I look back and I, I consider that disordered eating yeah. for sure. Yeah. But that's yeah. very hard, very hard to say, especially because the last decade of that, I mean, if you're going to call a spade a spade, I essentially was teaching people how to have disordered eating. Yeah. Mm. You know, it was just, it's mind blowing. And that's certainly not ever what my intent was. Of course, my intent was, you know, I learned what I learned and I thought, wow, you know, this is a way to be healthier. And I had this perspective of how can we optimize our health and feeling very much like we needed to have this tight grip of control on it. Because I also have pretty severe death anxiety, which I've been working on and it's been getting better. But all of these things kind of feed into that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think about when I think about paleo and sort of that movement for me, because it was something that I I also got into mm-hmm. and it was health. I mean, it was this idea of what health is and optimization as much as it was about weight loss, which is something that, you know, I knew personally very well, like so just a bit about like for me and my own history, like I've been over 200 pounds since I was 18 years old. So I have thin privilege in that, yeah, I can fit into spaces and I have a lot of thin privilege there and I can move around. I know there's going to be a chair that fits me, you know, that kind of stuff. I have also had experience for most of my life up until the last 10 years where I walked, I would walk into a store and I've had many, a boutique owner take me aside and say to me quietly, there's nothing for you here, honey. Mm. Um, You know, and 
just I got really used to to looking for shoes and you know accessories, earrings. I got really good at shopping for earrings, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and growing up, it was like you know I have literally done all the all the stuff right. Like I've done all the low mm-hmm. fat and low like you know with all the, yep. all of that right. And so for me, the paleo keto thing was like oh health, low blood sugar, all of that was totally sort of, which was my attraction to that space. And I think it's so interesting, you know, knowing more, and I now know a lot more about diet culture than I ever did. And also this idea, the equation of health with thinness and the false equivalency that that actually is. Well, yeah. One of the things that my co-host on Full Plate talks about a lot in her teachings and on the show, um, Abby is her name, Abby Atwood, is would you have considered paleo or keto or any of these approaches, would you have considered them to have worked if you had gained weight while doing them? And I think that's where we, Emily's got this smile of realization, like, Like, of course not. Right. Because you're also supposed to lose weight. Like it's a diet. Of course not. Of course you wouldn't have gone paleo or gone keto. And if you had gained weight doing that, or if you did, or anybody who did, we assume that means it didn't work. Because to us, even even when we come into it under the guise of health and optimization and all of that, or disease prevention, which is something I was really looking for, you know, in that death anxiety of like, what else can I do? You know, I don't smoke and I don't do all these things. And, um, but yeah, I think that question is like, ooh, that one is just like twist that knife in there of, no, I don't think most of us would say this thing is working for my health if we gained weight while we did it, because we have this underlying assumption that that is pushing us towards less health, which is actually not true at all. And most of us who've ever been dieting, we're just freaking hungry. I mean, we know, we know that deep down that we are, we just ignore it because we're, we're taught to ignore it. My experience is one of always dieting, um, like from a really young age. And like, I got in trouble for diet pills when I was like in elementary school and I was anorexic the last few, you know, my last year of high school, my first year of college, and then that morphed into bulimia. And then that bulimia kind of came and went, you know, um, and got pretty bad around the time I quit drinking. And then I got sober from alcohol before I stopped binging and purging and then was very unhealthy from years of just like abusing my body um, with alcohol and drugs and also from eating disorders. And what I think is really interesting for me and my shift as somebody that, you know, could tell you the calories and toothpaste and who was always marking success through scale and weight loss, that actually these things like functional medicine, understanding that I needed fats and the combination of fats that I needed to rebuild brain health, to restore my gut balance, like eating for repair was actually important and I had to be really careful Like I did sugar detoxes because of how much after I quit drinking, uh, sugar 
became like it felt very close to addiction, even though they've disproven that there's sugar addiction. There's a pretty much a lot of people, a lot of people struggle with sugar after they quit drinking. And so I did sugar detoxes because something felt like it needed to be reset. I was always really careful about that because I know when I'm punishing and and controlling through food. And I know when I'm also using it to feel better. So it's it's a fine line for me. Like I'm not going to pretend that I am not still very concerned about, you know, five pounds here and like up and down, you know, I still am like, you know, trying for to be 10 pounds less, you know, like that's still my ideal. And I've made peace with that just because it doesn't rule my life. But I have had to use these things. It has been helpful for me to use certain, I would never do keto, but to use like paleo recipes or to use functional medicine protocols and this like quote unquote healthy eating in a really like intuitive way, like through the the lens of intuitive eating, I guess. So I guess what I'm saying is it's not all bad because I think there can be different experiences where what we would call a diet might also be the way somebody that has no idea how to feed herself learns how to to feed herself. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So as somebody who's not a practitioner in this space, I'm only answering as someone who is going through this and learning kind of parallel to someone who's a practitioner. So as I'm saying, um, Abby, who does my show uh, with me, she is really what I consider the expert in our little setup. She also has gone through anorexia and like being kind of close to death underweight situation with eating disorders and also autoimmune conditions. So she's had those experiences and I won't speak for her, but I know that I see this as being a little bit on a continuum of the way we feel about it in terms of this healthism versus being fully anti-diet to the nth degree, which like when she and I talk on our show, she's really all the way at the full end of, you know, talking about how what you eat doesn't really matter, which I don't agree with that a hundred percent. You know, I'm coming from that world of more of this healthism perspective. And, you know, to your point, Holly, I have spoken to hundreds, if not thousands of people who have come to me and said, you know, this book changed my life and here's what happened with my health and the transformation. And so I do really walk the line between feeling like, you know, I wonder how we could have gotten to a place of knowing and having this information in many less extreme ways that would not have been fully cloaked also in, you know, let's just say, for example, you're talking about sugar and drinking. And when you're stopping drinking, wanting sugar, that is a totally normal body response to the amount of pleasure that was being released through drinking. It's actually super common knowledge in the nutrition space that if someone is going to stop drinking, that they will crave sugar. It's just we're looking, I mean, you know more about what alcohol is doing to the body than I do, but just we are going to look for that dopamine, the serotonin, like we want that and we get that from sugar. And there is actually, there are a lot of people who would probably say, have the sugar, 
like the people who are fully, fully, fully anti-diet would be like, have the sugar because your body's telling you what it wants and your body knows what it wants. And through time, and this is the thing that I'm learning, I don't have that same, that exact same experience, but I do have a strong experience of restriction. I didn't even see it as, as much restriction as it was. So I'm saying that as like, it didn't seem like that much restriction at the time because I was eating this like whatever prescribed number of calories that was supposed to be what I was eating. But when I did the math, it was at least 30% less than what I would naturally eat if I Mm -hmm. didn't restrict myself. So when you think about that, like 30% less, I was essentially restricting all the time. When those foods are available to you without limits, you do eventually get to a place where you will naturally not want them the same way. But in that short term, it's totally understandable and natural because not only were you coming off of the alcohol, but likely also restricting food. So you're you're having this boomerang effect. So anyway, these are kind of like two different topics that I'm meshing together a little bit. But what I'm talking about a bit here is food habituation is what it's known as, where when these foods are available to you without limits, you will kind of go a little bit bonkers initially And that initially may last longer than we find comfortable. It also may result in weight gain, which we also don't find comfortable because of our fat phobia. That's very internalized. Like even saying, you know, I have this weight that I still want to lose. Like we, you know, we're, that's the diet culture that we are so steeped in. We can't possibly imagine not thinking that way. You know, I mean, I, I still have it too. I still think that way too. But when we get to a place where we are eating enough and giving our bodies enough, those things shift. But to your point about like the health aspect of it, I totally hear you. And I, I still really struggle with that. I mean, I can't say that I'm fully on the side of like, it doesn't matter because I, I do think it matters. But for people who are trying to extract themselves from restriction and diet culture, what I'm learning is it's actually really important to have a period of time where we basically look, it's impossible to forget everything we know about what are quote unquote healthy foods and nutrition. Like we don't just erase that memory, but it's really important for us to have a period of time where we stop imposing all of these rules upon ourselves and get to a place where we can eat. But to, to your point, if you're coming out of anorexia and you needed to learn, this will nourish your brain. Like you need this for your brain. This is how we can repair your body. I am definitely not an expert on assisting people through that transition. And I think that that's, you know, there is going to be education and whatever it is that works for different people to help them come through that and come to the other side of it. I mean, I personally am in support of whatever is going to help someone come through that and get to the place where they're actually eating. So I I hear you and I get it. Like I I don't think that this stuff is as black and white as maybe we'd like it to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not. And I think like, it's just like, it's personal. It's so personal. And I think like maybe one of the things I was trying to drive at that was really hard for me when I was going through like just rebuilding my health after, you know, being really unhealthy was how much, um, how I found almost just as oppressive, like the parts where 
I was told I shouldn't be dieting or working with trying to like, like for me, like the sugar was like, I, you know, I did intuitive eating, but it was a problem, you know, like for me, it felt like more of a problem. Like it didn't feel like a restriction thing or like, oh shit, I'm eating this and it's bad for me. But like, and I think that, you know, just watching it and being in the recovery space for years, like it can be confusing between the spectrums of like all dieting is bad. Don't do any dieting. And like that pressure you get on t- on top for like just doing the best yeah. you can. Right. I totally hear you. And I am curious when you say like it was too much and it's tricky because yeah, I just think that's a tricky situation. What? To say that you were eating, you know, too much, quote unquote, too much sugar, whatever amount that was. Well, it didn't feel good. Like if you're eating, like if you're about, if you're like managing your blood sugar through like, uh, you know, a t- like a, a lot of sugar throughout the day for an extended period of time when your blood sugar is Im- imbalanced, when your gut, you know, is like all messed up, when, you know, like my whole body went through this major transition after years of smoking cigarettes and smoking pot and not sleeping and drinking a ton of alcohol and binging and purging. And it was like, it was comfort and great and fine. Like there was a period of time where I just didn't give a shit. And then there was a extended period of time where I just didn't like what I was putting in my, what, what I was putting in my body. It wasn't, you know, a, like a psychological thing. It was like, this does not feel good to like subsist on this. And it doesn't so feel what like- eventually was the thing that made you stop eating as much sugar as you were, like actually using a program? Well, having a, a a relationship with it that didn't feel good, like I wanted, I never wanted to like eliminate sugar from my diet. Like there, well, there, no, that's a lie. There was a period of time where I was like, I'm going to become sober and then I'm going to get off caffeine and then I'm going to get off sugar and then I'm just going to subsist on like spinach <laughs> juice Yeah, and I'm going to be like, um, you know, 20, you know, that 20 hours of meditation a day <laughs> and I'm going to become God, you know, like, so there was a period of time where it felt like, oh, wow, if I control these things then I control my life, um, that it just gets better the more you remove. But I'm talking about like over time what happened was just being really good to myself, right? And not putting this pressure on myself, like allowing myself to say, I don't like how this sugar is making me feel and allowing myself to like actually try things to not feel so dependent on sugar. Like I needed it. It just didn't feel like a healthy relationship. And I think like, yeah, I am mindful of things that don't feel like a healthy relationship. And so what got me was like, well, I use glutamine supplements. I used, you know, I did like a a ton of amino acid stuff, but that was also to deal with the bulimia and the depression and all sorts of stuff. I slept a ton, you know, I drank a lot of water. I, you know, I just like did, you know, basic things to try and like give my body a chance to rehabilitate itself and to you know, like, and a lot of it was just doing what I wanted to do and giving myself what I needed to give myself, but also just managing, like, I don't like this, you know, I don't like, I don't yeah. like eating four pastries a day. Yeah. It doesn't feel good. So, well, And from my perspective, from what I've learned, you getting to the place, there was a combination of somebody was teaching you some things about that, what could help, right? You were learning that somewhere about glutamine and helping with sugar cravings and, you know, that sleep is super important and yeah. all of that. Um, but you ultimately also really listened to your body. Right. You really, you, right. you got to a point where you were eating the things 
which you ate them because your body was telling you it wanted that. It wanted the the sugar. It wanted the pleasure. It wanted the calories. I mean, that's quick calories. And after restriction, it's totally normal and understandable that your body's like, can you give me something right now? I mean, that's literally what's happening. And also I would like it to be pleasurable because that's what I'm used to, right? But then you continued to listen to it beyond that as well, where then those physical symptoms came in. Um, and so you were able to say, I instead of this giving me the quick pleasure of relief that it was giving me from the negative feelings I was having, now I'm feeling worse from this this pattern of what I'm eating. And there's there's nothing wrong. It's actually, you know, the continuum of this whole thing is that we do get to a place where we don't just want to eat pizza and donuts and ice cream and the things that we might consider, quote unquote, like junky or not as good for us. We do get to a place where we can find a balance of, well, I can enjoy those foods. They're pleasurable and I eat them for reasons of, you know, pleasure and socialization and all these different cultural reasons and celebration. And also I don't want that 24 seven because I actually don't feel good eating that. So I think that that's, that is something that I'm also learning. We do all have a path to get to that relief where the food doesn't feel like it has the same pull on us. And to your point, um, Holly, about us learning that sugar isn't addictive in the same way as alcohol and drugs, we can find moderation, like, gosh, I used to really hate that word, but this habituation, we can find it around food when we're not restricting in ways and we're not telling ourselves, I can't have that, I can't have that, and also are hungry. Like, if we're hungry and we're saying we can't have this thing, all we want is that thing. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. when we're not just hungry all the time because we're feeding ourselves enough, we get to a place where we don't just want that thing all the time. I mean, I can have foods that I previously thought I really can't keep those in the house. I can have them in the house now. And in the beginning, it wasn't as easy. Like if I made a batch of brownies when I first quit dieting, I would want a brownie after breakfast, after lunch, and after dinner. Like literally as many times a day as I could find the space for it, I would want that. And Everyone's going to have a different amount of time that it might take, but then got to a place where I could make this, you know, whether it's a brownie or some cinnamon coffee cake or something and maybe have one piece a day. And maybe one day I just don't even have some. Right. Or maybe someday you do have it all and you like, I still will eat a whole pie in a day and like, it's totally. just, and, right. Yeah. And, and a big part of it is not also then assigning morality to those choices and actions and just kind of moving on with your life, um, detaching the shame and guilt that comes with that. So I definitely learned that a huge part of what I went through, I I've, have had tons of rules around food, but I'm also such a rebel and a rule breaker and I hate rules <laughs> so much that I would break a lot of the rules that I would have for myself So it wasn't that I was just always so strictly following every rule all the time. It was how much shame and guilt I felt for doing that all the time. Instead of recognizing I'm just fucking hungry, literally was hungry all the time. And so I would have these really fucked up behaviors with food because I was hungry that I no longer have those behaviors happening now because 
if I'm hungry, I eat something. <laughs> and I like, I mean, newsflash. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it seems so it's really, it's actually a bit nostalgic. If you think about it, it's like, remember, I mean, you, you both have had very different past lives with your bodies and dieting. So from now that I know a little bit better about your experience, Emily, and also Holly, I really did not start dieting until the day that I told you was at the doctor's appointment. I had always had a quote unquote, like normal body weight. I was athletic and ate a lot, but also was very active. And so it was just never something I thought about. And the way that I approach food now is it's nostalgic because it reminds me of what it was like before I started dieting, where if I was hungry and there's a granola bar here, I'm going to grab the granola bar. And I'm not going to then think, well, I had carbs and fat and did this. And now I should eat this or that next. And I shouldn't eat this. And like, just if I'm hungry, I'm going to eat something and it's here and that's okay. And then to your point earlier, Holly, like if I didn't feel great from that, or if it didn't hold me long enough, or it wasn't the right thing, then I can take that information. Absolutely. And learn from it. You know, we don't have to ignore what happens as a result of eating that food. But yeah, sorry, we're like on a whole other tangent. And I know, Emily, you have questions. No, about- it's all good. It's all this is this is all really I think it's all really valuable and 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 super interesting conversation. And I also want to get back to your own story with this undoing of this piece of you and, you know, how that started. Like, was there one particular event that happened? Was it a culmination of different things? Like, how did those cracks start appearing for you? Yeah. So I was saying how early 2019 was the last book that I released during the year before that. And I would say the year following I was dieting, like I've been cyclically dieting for, you know, the last 20 years. So it would be like a year on and then a year or two off because I just, it's like, you know, it's unbearable during that time of being hungry. And so it's just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Okay. I've lost the weight. So now I can stop. And of course I would gain the weight back because I was hungry. So I had come off of a period of dieting and so entering early 2020, you know, as the pandemic hit, I probably had gotten to a point where I had achieved whatever that recent goal was, goal weight. And then the pandemic hit. And most of my habits for exercise kind of went out the window. We do have, you know, a place to exercise in my home here, but it just wasn't the same for me. The way that I liked to exercise, just kind of, you know, going to the gym at the time, at least was taken away. I, for the year 2020 was like, I'm fine. Like, this is fine. We're home. And, you know, I feel like the world has slowed down a bit and this feels okay. Then of course, it very much wasn't okay. Um, everything that was happening over the summer of 2020 with George Floyd, like all of this kind of fed into a high stress situation just internally. And I hit a point where I, I don't know how much weight I gained, but I was gaining the weight back. I wasn't dieting. I was stressed, home eating, making the brownies. Everyone was baking during the pandemic. And I did get on the scale again. This was probably early 2021. And I saw the number and I was like, I literally cannot fucking do it again. Mm. Like, I was just like, I see this number. I see my body. 
I just did it. It all came apart (laughs) in the last year. I undid it all. And I was like, what am I going to do? Keep doing this over and over until I die? Is that what I do then? That I just keep... And when I say do this, I mean managing my food essentially became a part-time job. And that sounds extreme, but I think for people who manage your food, micromanage it and are dieting in any kind of way, when you think about all of the additional thought processes, questions, decisions that you're making before you make the decision about what to eat, the amount of internal dialogue and chatter that you're having about that is so the opposite of peaceful (laughs) because I'm in such a peaceful place with it now. It's so all-consuming. That's why I say it was practically a part-time job because it just, you can't just fucking eat. You have to do all these other things and make all these other considerations before you eat in the name of losing weight or not gaining weight. Like, you know, 99% of the time, yes, there are people who are doing it for quote unquote health reasons. But like I said, if that health reason meant you were gaining weight for some people, yes. For some people, they know they need to gain weight and they're doing things to gain weight. Yes. So understood. But anyway, that was the moment. It was a moment that I probably, and it's probably the last time I've stepped on the scale since, but it was just, I just cannot do it again. I just can't. And so it became, well, then what? Right. You know, then what if I can't do it again? So it was really a very personal decision and journey of I can't diet again. And it didn't become this full, like, I'm going to talk about anti-diet stuff until a little while later, until I just kind of got into a little bit further for myself. And realizing that really unintentionally, I was part of the problem. And that doesn't mean that learning about, you know, food in certain ways couldn't have been positive for some people, because that is really, that is a really hard thing. Like, but essentially I was experiencing really strong cognitive dissonance. Like, how can I talk about, it actually started now that I'm talking through this with you. And I don't think I've said this before on even my podcast, the, the dissonance that I was experiencing started even longer before with my sugar detox program. Like I essentially stopped supporting that program before I stopped dieting for myself. Um, we stopped supporting it as a company, probably this at the same time. I think we must've done that in about February of 2021. But even before that, I personally had detached from it more and more over time because of the way that I watched people behave with the program where they would repeat it multiple times. And I was like, didn't you learn what you needed to learn the first time? But no, because people are using it for other reasons. They're using it for weight loss. They're clearly not quote unquote learning what they needed to learn about sugar in their body in one round because because they were probably depriving themselves and restricting. So I kind of watched that behavior pattern. And, you know, at some point I had to make the decision that even if there were some positives, I think that there are other ways for people to find information and learn things and experience positive changes with their health in more gentle ways 
than these wholesale eliminations and exclusions that essentially I experienced firsthand lead to disordered eating patterns in a huge majority of us. We just Mm -hmm. don't notice it as being disordered because fucking everyone around us is doing the same thing. How many times do we go out to dinner with friends and like we're all making the same, you know, types of choices because we're all patterned the same way? Not everyone, but, you know, a huge majority. And like the person that we know who doesn't have those behaviors, man, that seems nice, right? (laughs) Like, wow, must be nice to just order the thing that you wanted to order and not like... Anyway, so that had started to kind of unravel in my mind earlier with the program. We started detaching from that and then um, just got to a point where I'm like, well, if I can't, if I'm not doing this for me anymore, uh, I need to need to share about it. And this whole thing has been a combination of essentially not just quitting dieting for myself and quitting, you know, a career path that I have carved out for myself, but abandoning an entire identity between being someone who teaches about this stuff and also someone who lives in a certain body that I don't live in anymore. I don't. So, you know, Emily, before we started recording, you you know, you're like asking or just, you know, making the note of, you know, what is this experience for you? I mean, I'm so ungrounded right now in who I am because I no longer hold the same place in this bodily hierarchy that I used to hold. So that's that Sonia Renee Taylor. She talks a lot about that hierarchy of bodies, but I no longer hold that. Uh, and I no longer hold the position of, you know, authority or whatever it was that people wanted me to be, which I kind of never really wanted to be that. I never wanted to be on a pedestal. I think you probably recognize that in me, which is one of the reasons you were drawn to me like this being a real person. Yeah. But yeah, now I'm like, well, now what, what the fuck do I do? Like, who am I? What, what am I doing? Even to the point of having a business where we sell food. And I still have, you know, meal boxes that are called a paleo or a keto meal box. And I don't want to do that, but it's really hard to entirely pull the plug on your career and your livelihood when that's sustaining not just me, but, you know, other people that I employ. So I'm like slowly trying to chip away at that. We're changing the language and the emails that we send. We don't talk about things in certain ways that we used to, and that's all fine. And you know, it's challenging, but also not like in so many ways, it's just liberating and freeing because I can't not be authentic. Like I have to be, I just can't, you know what I mean? I can't, I can't be one thing and talk a different way or promote something differently, but I also have to meter the way that I deconstruct everything around me. So I don't fully, fully burn it all down and kind of fuck up other people's lives in the process who are relying on me for a living. Um, And that part's part's definitely challenging. If you liked part one of this episode, you will love part two. Stay tuned and come back next week for the second half of our conversation with Diane Sanfilippo. You've been listening to Quitted, a podcast about quitting, hosted by Holly Whitaker and Emily McDowell. Our music is by Michael Blumenfeld. 
Our sound engineer is Adam Day, and our producer is Kathleen Kissage. Quitted is made possible by us and by our listeners. To support the show, join our patron community at patreon.com forward slash quitted.